Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Chapter 4 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the extent of this storm, and from what parts it was supposed to come, with some circumstances as to the time of it. As all our histories are full of the relations of tempests and storms, which have happened in various parts of the world, I hope it may not be improper that some of them have been thus observed, with their remarkable effects. But, as I have all along insisted, that no storm since the universal deluge was like this, either in its violence or its duration, so I must also confirm it as to the particular of its prodigious extent. All the storms and tempests we have heard of in the world have been gusts or squalls of wind that have been carried on in their proper channels, and have spent their force in a shorter space. We feel nothing here of the hurricanes of Barbados, the northwests of New England and Virginia, the terrible gusts of the Levant, or the frequent tempests of the North Cape. When Sir Francis Wheeler's squadron perished at Gibraltar, when the city of Strelson was almost ruined by a storm, England felt it not, nor was the air here disturbed with the motion. Even at home we have had storms of violent wind in one part of England, which have not been felt in another, and if what I have been told has any truth in it, in St. George's Channel, there has frequently blown a storm at sea right up and down the channel which has been felt on neither coast though it is not above twenty leagues from the english to the irish shore sir william temple gives us the particulars of two terrible storms in holland while he was there in one of which the great cathedral at utrecht was utterly destroyed, and after that there was a storm so violent in Holland that forty-six vessels were cast away at the Texel, and almost all the men drowned, and yet we felt none of these storms here. And for this very reason 
I have reserved an abridgment of these former cases to this place, which, as they are recited by Sir William Temple, I shall put them down in his own words, being not capable to mend them, and not vain enough to pretend to it. I stayed only a night at Antwerp, which passed with so great thunders and lightnings, that I promised myself a very fair day after it, to go back to Rotterdam in the state's yacht that still attended me. The morning proved so, but towards the evening the sky grew foul, and the seamen presaged ill weather, and so resolved to lie at anchor before Bergen op Zoom, the wind being cross and little. When the night was fallen as black as ever I saw, it soon began to clear up, with the most violent flashes of lightning as well as cracks of thunder, that, I believe, have ever been heard in our age and climate. This continued all night, and we felt such a fierce heat from every great flash of lightning that the captain apprehended it would fire his ship. But about eight the next morning the wind changed, and came up with so strong a gale that we came to Rotterdam in about four hours, and there found all mouths full of mischiefs and accidents that the last night's tempest had occasioned, both among the boats and the houses, by the thunder, lightning, hail, or whirlwinds. But the day after came stories to the Hague from all parts, of such violent effects as were almost incredible. At Amsterdam they were deplorable, many trees torn up by the roots, ships sunk in the harbour, and boats in the channels, houses beaten down, and several people were snatched from the ground as they walked the streets, and thrown into the canals. But all was silenced by the relations from Utrecht, where the great and ancient cathedral was torn in pieces by the violence of this storm, and the vast pillars of stone that supported it were wreathed like a twisted club, having been so strongly composed and cemented as rather to suffer such a change of figure than break in pieces, as other parts of the fabric did. Hardly any church in the town escaped the violence of this storm, and very few houses without the marks of it. Nor were the effects of it less astonishing by the relations from France and Brussels, where the damages were infinite, as well from whirlwinds, thunder, lightning, as from hailstones of prodigious bigness. This was in the year 1674. In November 1675 happened a storm at northwest, with a spring-tide so violent as gave the apprehensions of some loss irrecoverable to the province of Holland, and by several breaches in the great dikes near Enchusen, and others between Amsterdam and Harlem, 
made way for such inundations as had not been seen before by any man then alive, and filled the country with many relations of most deplorable events. But the incredible diligence and unanimous endeavours of the people upon such occasions gave a stop to the fury of that element, and made way for recovering next year all the lands, though not the people, cattle, and houses that had been lost. Thus far, Sir William Temple. I am also credibly informed that the greatest storm that ever we had in England before, and which was as universal here as this, did no damage in Holland or France comparable to this tempest, I mean the great wind in 1661, an abstract of which, as it was printed in Mirabilis Annis, an unknown but unquestioned author, take as follows in his own words. A dreadful storm of wind, accompanied with thunder, lightning, hail, and rain, and together with the sad effects of it in many parts of the nation. Upon the 18th of February, 1661, being Tuesday, very early in the morning, there began a very great and dreadful storm of wind, accompanied with thunder, lightning, hail, and rain, which in many places were as salt as brine which continued with a strange and unusual violence till almost night. The sad effects whereof throughout the nation are so many that a very great volume is not sufficient to contain the narrative of them. And indeed some of them are so stupendous and amazing that the report of them, though from never so authentic hands, will scarce gain credit among any but those that have an affectionate sense of the unlimited power of the Almighty, knowing and believing that there is nothing too hard for him to do. Some few of which wonderful effects we shall give a brief account of, as we have received them from persons of most unquestionable credit in several parts of the nation. In the city of London and in Covent Garden, and other parts about London and Westminster, five or six persons were killed outright by the fall of houses and chimneys, especially one Mr. Luke Blythe, an attorney that lived at or near Stamford in the county of Lincoln, was killed that day by the fall of a riding house not far from Piccadilly and there are some very remarkable circumstances in this man's case which do make his death to appear at least like a most eminent judgment and severe stroke of the lord's hand upon him from other parts likewise we have received certain information that divers persons were killed by the effects of this great wind at Chiltenham in Gloucestershire, a maid was killed by the fall of a tree in or near the churchyard. An honest yeoman, likewise of Scaldwell in 
Northamptonshire, being upon a ladder to save his hobble, was blown off, and fell upon a plough, died outright, and never spoke word more. Also in Tewkesbury at Gloucestershire, a man was blown from an house, and broken to pieces. At Ellsbury, likewise in the same county, a woman was killed by the fall of tiles or bricks from a house, and not far from the same place a girl was killed by the fall of a tree. Near Northampton, a man was killed by the fall of a great barn. Near Colchester, a young man was killed by the fall of a windmill. Not far from Ipswich and Suffolk, a man was killed by the fall of a barn. And about two miles from the said town of Ipswich, a man was killed by the fall of a tree. At Langton, or near it, in the county of Leicester, one, Mr. Roberts, had a windmill blown down, in which were three men, and, by the fall of it, one of them was killed outright. A second had his back broken, and the other had his arm or leg struck off, and both of them, according to our best information, are since dead. Several other instances there are of the like nature but it would be too tedious to mention them. Let these, therefore, suffice to stir us up to repentance, lest we likewise perish. There are also many effects of this storm, which are of another nature, whereof we shall give this following brief account. The wind hath very much prejudiced many churches in several parts of the nation. At Tewkesbury, in Gloucestershire, it blew down a very fair window belonging to the church there. Both the glass and the stone work also. The doors likewise of that church were blown open, much of the lead torn up, and some part of a fair pinnacle thrown down. Also at Red Marley and Newen, not far from Tewkesbury, their churches are extremely broken and shattered, if not a considerable part of them blown down. The like was done to most, if not all, the public meeting-places at Gloucester City. And it is reported that some hundreds of pounds will not suffice to repair the damage done to the cathedral at Worcester, especially in that part that is over the choir. The like fate happened to many more of them, as Hereford, and Leighton, Beaudesart, and Bedfordshire, and Eton, Silken, in the same county, where they had newly erected a very fair cross of stone, which the wind blew down, and as some of the inhabitants did observe, that was the first damage which that town sustained by the storm, though afterwards in other respects, also they were in the same condition with their neighbours. The steeples also and other parts of the churches of Shenley, Wadden, and Woolston, in the county of Bucks, have been very much rent and torn by the wind. The spire of Finchenfield steeple in the county of Essex was blown down, 
and it brake through the body of the church, and spoiled many of the pews. Some hundreds of pounds will not repair that loss. But that which is most remarkable of this kind is the fall of that most famous spire, or pinnacle, of the Tower Church in Ipswich. It was blown down upon the body of the church, and fell reversed, the sharp end of the shaft, striking through the leads on the south side of the church, carried much of the timber-work down before it into the alley just behind the pulpit, and took off one side of the sounding-board over the pulpit. It shattered many pews. The weathercock and the iron upon which it stood broke off as it fell, but the narrowest part of the woodwork upon which the fane stood fell into the alley broke quite through a gravestone and ran shoring under two coffins that had been placed there one on another that part of the spire which was plucked up was about three yards deep in the earth and it is believed some part of it is yet behind in the ground some hundreds of pounds will not make good the detriment done to the church by the fall of this pinnacle. Very great prejudice has been done to private houses, many of them blown down, and others extremely shattered and torn. It is thought that five thousand pounds will not make good the repairs at Audley End House, which belongs to the Earl of Suffolk. A good part, also, of the crown office in the temple is blown down. The instances of this kind are so many and so obvious that it would needlessly take up too much time to give the reader an account of the collection of them. Only there has been such a wonderful destruction of barns that, looking so much like a judgment from the Lord, who the last year took away our corn, and this our barns, we cannot but give a short account of some part of that intelligence which hath come to our hands of that nature. A gentleman of good account in Ipswich affirms that in a few miles riding that day there was eleven barns and outhouses blown down, in the road within his view, and within a very few miles of Ipswich roundabout, above thirty barns, and many of them with corn in them, were blown down. At Southold, not far from the place before mentioned, many new houses and barns, built since a late fire that happened there, are blown down, as also a salt house is destroyed there and a thousand pounds as it is believed will not make up that particular loss from tewkesbury it is certified that an incredible number of barns have been blown down in the small towns and villages thereabouts at twinning at least eleven barns are blown down in ashchurch parish seven or eight, at Lee five, at Norton a very great number, three whereof belonging to one man, the 
Great Abbey Barn, also at Tewkesbury, is blown down. It is credibly reported that within a very few miles circumference in Worcestershire, about a hundred and forty barns were blown down. At Finchinfield in Essex, which is but an ordinary village, about sixteen barns were blown down. Also at a town called Wilchamstead, in the county of Bedford, a very small village, fifteen barns at least are blown down. But especially the parsonage barns went to rack in many places throughout the land. In a few miles compass of Bedfordshire, and so in Northamptonshire, and other places eight, ten, and twelve are blown down and at yielding parsonage in the county of Bedford, out of which was thrust by oppression and violence the late incumbent, all the barns belonging to it are down. The instances also of this kind are innumerable, which we shall therefore forbear to make further mention of. We have also a large account of the blowing down of a very great and considerable number of fruit trees, and other trees in several parts. We shall only pick out two or three passages, which are the most remarkable. In the counties of Gloucester, Hereford, and Worcester, several persons have lost whole orchards of fruit trees, and many particular men's loss hath amounted to the value of forty or fifty pounds at the least, merely by destruction of their fruit-trees, and so in other parts of England, proportionably, the like damage hath been sustained in this respect. And as for other trees, there has been a great destruction made of them in many places by this storm. Several were blown down at Hampton Court, and three thousand brave oaks, at least, but in one principal part of the forest of Dean, belonging to his majesty. In a little grove at Ipswich, belonging to the lord of Hereford, which, together with the spire of the steeple before mentioned, were the most considerable ornaments of that town, are blown down at least two hundred goodly trees, one of which was an ash, which had ten load of wood upon it. There are now few trees left there. In Brampton Bryan Park in the county of Hereford, belonging to Sir Edward Harley, one of the late knights of the Bath, above thirteen hundred trees are blown down, and above six hundred in Hopton Park, not far from it. And thus it is proportionably in most places where this storm was felt and the truth is the damage which the people of this nation have sustained upon all accounts by this storm is not easily to be valued some sober and discreet people who have endeavoured to compute the loss of the several counties one with another by the destruction of houses and barns the blowing away of hovels and ricks of corn, the falling of trees, etc., do believe it can come to little less than two 
millions of money. There are yet behind many particulars of a distinct nature from those that have been spoken of, some whereof are very wonderful and call for a very serious observation of them. In the cities of London and Westminster, especially on the bridge and near Wallingford House, several persons were blown down one on the top of another. In Hertfordshire, a man was taken up, carried a pole in length, and blown over a very high hedge, and the like in other places. The water in the river of Thames and other places was in a very strange manner blown up into the air. Yea, in the new pond in James Park, the fish, to the number of at least two hundred, were blown out and lay by the bankside, whereof many were eyewitnesses. At Morclack in Surrey, the birds, as they attempted to fly, were beaten down to the ground by the violence of the wind. At Epping, in the county of Essex, a very great oak was blown down, which of itself was raised again, and doth grow firmly at this day. At Taunton, a great tree was blown down, the upper part whereof rested upon a brick or stone wall, and after a little time, by the force of the wind, the lower part of the tree was blown quite over the wall. In the city of Hereford, several persons were, by the violence of the wind, borne up from the ground. One man, as it is credibly reported, at least six yards. The great fane at Whitehall was blown down, and one of the four which were upon the white tower, and two more of them strangely bent, which are to be seen at this day, to the admiration of all that behold them. The several triumphant arches in the city of London were much shattered and torn. That in Leadenhall Street lost the king's arms, and many other rare pieces that were affixed to it. That in Cheapside, which represented the church, suffered very much by the fury of the storm and a great part of that in Fleet Street, which represented plenty, was blown down. But, blessed be God, none, as we hear of, either were killed or hurt by the fall of it. The wind was so strong that it blew down several carts loaded with hay in the road between Barnet and London, and in other roads leading to the city of London. Norwich coach with four or six horses was not able to come towards London, but stayed by the way till the storm was somewhat abated. It is also credibly reported that all, or some of the heads which were set up upon Westminster Hall, were that day blown down. There was a very dreadful lightning which did at first accompany the storm, and by it some of his majesty's household conceive that the fire which happened at Whitehall that morning was kindled, as also that at Greenwich, by which, 
as we are informed, seven or eight houses were burnt down. Thus far, the author of Mirabilis Anis. End of section four, the first part of chapter four. Section 5 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The conclusion of Chapter 4. Tis very observable that this storm blew from the same quarter as the last, and that they had less of it northward than here, in which they were very much alike. Now, as these storms were perhaps very furious in some places, yet they neither came up to the violence of this, nor any way to be compared for the extent, and when ruinous in one county, were hardly heard of in the next. But this terrible night shook all Europe, and how much farther it extended he only knows who has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet as this storm was first felt from the west some have conjectured that the first generation or rather collection of materials was from the continent of america possibly from that part of florida and virginia where if we respect natural causes, the confluence of vapours raised by the sun from the vast and unknown lakes and inland seas of water, which, as some relate, are incredibly large as well as numerous, might afford sufficient matter for the exhalation, and where time adding to the preparation god who has generally confined his providence to the chain of natural causes might muster together those troops of combustion till they made a sufficient army duly proportioned to the expedition designed i am the rather inclined to this opinion because we are told they felt upon that coast an unusual tempest a few days before the fatal 27th of November. I confess I have never studied the motion of the clouds so nicely as to calculate how long time this army of terror might take up in its furious march. Possibly the velocity of its motion might not be so great at its first setting out as it was afterward as a horse that is to run a race does not immediately put himself into the height of his speed and though it may be true that by the length of the way the force of the wind spins itself and so by degrees ceases as the vapour finds more room for dilation besides yet we may suppose a conjunction of some confederate matter which might fall in with it by the way, or which meeting it at its arrival here 
might join forces in executing the commission received from above, all natural causes being allowed a subserviency to the direction of the great supreme cause. Yet where the vast collection of matter had its first motion, as it did not take all motion in one and the same moment, so when the parts had felt the influence as they advanced and pressed those before them, the violence must increase in proportion, and thus we may conceive that the motion might not have arrived at its meridian violence till it reached our island, and even then it blew some days with more than common fury, yet much less than that last night of its force, and even that night the violence was not at its extremity till about an hour before sunrise, and then it continued declining, though it blew a full storm for four days after it. Thus Providence, by whose special direction the quantity and conduct of this judgment was managed, seemed to proportion things so, as that by the course of things the proportion of matter being suited to distance of place, the motion should arrive at its full force just at the place where its execution was to begin. As then our island was the first, this way, to receive the impressions of the violent motion, it had the terriblest effects here, and continuing its steady course, we find it carried a true line clear over the continent of Europe, traversed England, France, Germany, the Baltic Sea, and passing the northern continent of Sweden, Finland, Muscovy, and part of Tartary, must at last lose itself in the vast northern ocean, where man never came, and ship never sailed, and its violence could have no effect but upon the vast mountains of ice and the huge drifts of snow, in which abyss of moisture and cold, it is very probable the force of it was checked, and the world restored to calmness and quiet, and in this circle of fury it might find its end not far off from where it had its beginning, the fierceness of the motion perhaps not arriving to a period, till having passed the pole, it reached again the northern parts of America. The effects of this impetuous course are the proper subjects of this book, and what they might be before our island felt its fury, who can tell? Those unhappy wretches who had the misfortune to meet it in its first approach can tell us little having been hurried by its irresistible force directly into eternity. How many they are, we cannot pretend to give an account. We are told of about seventeen ships, which, having been out at sea, are never heard of, which is the common way of discourse of ships foundered in the ocean. And, indeed, all we can say of them is 
the fearful exit they have made among the mountains of waters can only be duly reflected on by those who have seen those wonders of god in the deep yet i cannot omit here to observe that this loss was in all probability much less than it would otherwise have been because the winds having blown with very great fury at the same point for near fourteen days before the violence grew to its more uncommon height all those ships which were newly gone to sea were forced back of which some were driven into plymouth and falmouth who had been above a hundred and fifty leagues at sea others which had been farther took sanctuary in ireland on the other hand all those ships which were homeward bound and were within five hundred leagues of the english shore had been hurried so furiously on afore it as the seamen say that they had reached their port before the extremity of the storm came on so that the sea was as it were swept clean of all shipping those which were coming home were blown home before their time those that had attempted to put to sea were driven back again in spite of all their skill and courage for the wind had blown so very hard directly into the channel that there was no possibility of their keeping the sea whose course was not right afore the wind on the other hand these two circumstances had filled out all our ports with unusual fleets of ships either just come home or outward bound and consequently the loss among them was very terrible and the havoc it made among them though it was not so much as everybody expected was such as no age or circumstance can ever parallel and we hope will never feel again nay so high the winds blew even before that we called the storm that had not that intolerable tempest followed so soon after we should have counted those winds extraordinary high and any one may judge of the truth of this from these very few particulars that the russia fleet composed of near a hundred sail which happened to be then upon the coast was absolutely dispersed and scattered some got into newcastle some into hull and some into yarmouth roads two foundered in the sea one or two more run ashore and were lost and the reserve frigate their convoy foundered in yarmouth roads all her men being lost and no boat from the shore durst go off to relieve her though it was in the daytime but all her men perished in the same previous storms the man-of-war was lost off of harwich but by the help of smaller vessels most of her men were saved and so high the winds blew for near a fortnight that no ship stirred out of harbour and all the vessels great or small that were out at sea 
made for some port or other for shelter. In this juncture of time, it happened that, together with the Russia fleet, a great fleet of laden colliers, near four hundred sail, were just put out of the river Tyne, and these being generally deep and unwieldy ships, met with hard measure, though not so fatal to them as was expected. Some of them, as could run in for Humber, where a great many were lost afterwards, as I shall relate in its course. Some got shelter under the highlands of Cromer, and the northern shores of the county of Norfolk, and the greater number reached into Yarmouth Roads. So that when the great storm came, our ports round the sea-coast of England were exceeding full of ships of all sorts, a brief account whereof take as follows. At Grimsby, Hull, and the other roads of the Humber, lay about eighty sail, great and small, of which about fifty were colliers, and part of the Russia fleet, as aforesaid. In Yarmouth roads, there rode at least four hundred sail, being most of them laid in colliers, Russia men, and coasters from Lynn and Hull. In the river of Thames, at the Nor, lay about twelve sail of Queen's hired ships and store ships, and only two men of war. Sir Cloudsley Shovel was just arrived from the Mediterranean with the Royal Navy. Part of them lay at St. Helens, part in the Downs, and with twelve of the biggest ships he was coming round the foreland to bring them into Chatham, and when the great storm began was at an anchor at the gun-fleet, from whence the association was driven off from sea as far as the coast of Norway. What became of the rest I refer to a chapter by itself. At Gravesend there rode five East India men, and about thirty sail of other merchantmen, all outward bound. In the Downs, one hundred and sixty sail of merchant ships outward bound, besides the part of the fleet which came in with Sir Cloudsley Shovel, which consisted of about eighteen men of war, with tenders and victuallers. At Portsmouth and Cowes there lay three fleets. First, a fleet of transports and tenders, who with Admiral Dilks brought the forces from Ireland that were to accompany the King of Spain to Lisbon. Secondly, a great fleet of victuallers, tenders, store-ships, and transports, which lay ready for the same voyage, together with about forty merchant-ships, who lay for the benefit of their convoy, and the third article was the remainder of the grand fleet which came in with Sir Cloudsley Shovel, in all almost three hundred sail, great and small. In Plymouth Sound, Falmouth, and Milford Havens were, particularly, several small fleets of merchant ships, driven in for shelter and harbour from the storm, 
most homeward bound from the islands and colonies of America. The Virginia fleet, Barbados fleet, and some East India men lay scattered in all our ports, and in Kinsale in Ireland there lay near eighty sail homeward bound and richly laden. At Bristol about twenty sail of home-bound West India men, not yet unladen. In Holland the fleet of transports for Lisbon waited for the King of Spain, and several English men-of-war lay at Halvoet Sluice. The Dutch fleet from the Texel lay off Cadsent, with their forces on board, under the Admiral Collenburge. Both these fleets made a hundred and eighty sail. I think I may very safely affirm that hardly in the memory of the oldest man living was a juncture of time when an accident of this nature could have happened that so much shipping laden out and home ever was in port at one time no man will wonder that the damages of this nation were so great if they considered these unhappy circumstances it should rather be wondered at that we have no more disasters to account to posterity but that the navigation of this country came off so well and therefore some people have excused the extravagancies of the paris gazetteer who affirmed in print that there was thirty thousand seamen lost in the several ports of england and three hundred sail of ships which they say was a probable conjecture, and that considering the multitude of shipping, the openness of the roads in the Downs, Yarmouth, and the Nore, and the prodigious fury of the wind, any man would have guessed the same as he. Tis certain it is a wonderful thing to consider that, especially in the Downs and Yarmouth roads, anything should be safe, all men that know how wild a road the first is, and what crowds of ships there lay in the last, how almost everything quitted the road, and neither anchor nor cable would hold, must wonder what shift or what course the mariners could direct themselves to for safety. Some which had not a mast standing, nor an anchor or cable left them, went out to sea wherever the winds drove them, and lying like a trough in the water, wallowed about till the winds abated, and after were driven some into one port, some into another as providence guided them. In short, horror and confusion seized upon all, whether on shore or at sea, no pen can describe it, no tongue can express it, no thought conceive it, unless some of those who were in the extremity of it, and who being touched with a due sense of the sparing mercy of their Maker, retained the deep impressions of His goodness upon their minds, though the danger be past, and of those 
I doubt the number is but few. End of the conclusion of chapter 4section six of the storm by daniel defoe this librivox recording is in the public domain on the effects of the storm damages in the city of london etc the particular dreadful effects of this tempest are the subject of the ensuing part of this history and though the reader is not to expect that all the particulars can be put into this account, and perhaps many very remarkable passages may never come to our knowledge. Yet, as we have endeavoured to furnish ourselves with the most authentic accounts we could from all parts of the nation, and a great many worthy gentlemen have contributed their assistance in various and some very exact relations and curious remarks, so we pretend not to be meanly furnished for this work some gentlemen whose accounts are but of common and trivial damages we hope will not take it ill from the author if they are not inserted at large for that we are willing to put in nothing here common with other accidents of like nature or which may not be worthy of a history and a historian to record them nothing but what may serve to assist in convincing posterity that this was the most violent tempest the world ever saw from hence twill follow that those towns who only had their houses untiled their barns and hovels levelled with the ground and the like will find very little notice taken of them in this account because if these were to be the subject of a history, I presume it must be equally voluminous with Fox, Crimston, Hollingshead, or Stowe. Nor shall I often trouble the reader with the multitude or magnitude of trees blown down, whole parks ruined, fine walks defaced, and orchards laid flat, and the like. And though I had, myself, the curiosity to count the number of trees in a circuit i rode over most part of kent in which being tired with the number i left off reckoning after i had gone on to seventeen thousand and though i have great reason to believe i did not observe one half of the quantity yet in some parts of england as in devonshire especially and the counties of worcester Gloucester, and Hereford, which are full of very large orchards of fruit trees, they had much more mischief. In the pursuit of this work, I shall divide it into the following chapters or sections, that I may put it into as good order as possible. 1. Of the damage in the city of London, etc. 2. Of the damage in the counties. 3. Of the damage on the water in the Royal Navy. 4. Of the damage on the water to shipping in general. 5. 
Of the Damage by Earthquake 6. Of the Damage by High Tides 7. Remarkable Providences and Deliverances 8. Hardened and Blasphemous Contemners both of the storm and its effects. 9. Some calculations of damage sustained. 10. The conclusion. We had designed a chapter for the damages abroad, and have been at no small charge to procure the particulars from foreign parts, which are now doing in a very authentic manner. But as the world has been long expecting this work, and several gentlemen, who were not a little contributing to the information of the author, being unwilling to stay any longer for the account, it was resolved to put it into the press without any farther delay. And if the foreign accounts can be obtained in time, they shall be a supplement to the work. If not, some other method shall be found out to make them public. 1. Of the damages in the city of London and parts adjacent. Indeed, the city was a strange spectacle the morning after the storm, as soon as the people could put their heads out of doors, though I believe everybody expected the destruction was bad enough, yet I question very much if anybody believed the hundredth part of what they saw. The streets lay so covered with tiles and slates from the tops of the houses, especially in the out parts, that the quantity is incredible, and the houses were so universally stripped that all the tiles in fifty miles round would be able to repair but a small part of it. Something may be guessed at on this head from the sudden rise of the price of tiles, which rise from twenty-one shillings per thousand to six pounds for plain tiles, and from fifty shillings per thousand for pantiles to ten pounds, and bricklayers labour to five shillings per day, and though after the first hurry the prices fell again, it was not that the quantity was supplied, but because, first, the charge was so extravagant that an universal neglect of themselves appeared both in landlord and tenant. An incredible number of houses remained all the winter uncovered and exposed to all the inconveniences of wet and cold, and are so even at the writing of this chapter. 2. Those people who found it absolutely necessary to cover their houses but were unwilling to go to the extravagant price of tiles, changed their covering to that of wood, as a present expedient, till the season for making of tiles should come on, and the first hurry being over, the prices abate. And tis on this score that we see to this day whole ranks of buildings, as in Christ Church Hospital, the Temple, Ast's Hospital, Old Street, Hogsden Squares, and infinite other places, covered entirely with deal boards, 
and are like to continue so perhaps a year or two longer, for want of tiles. These two reasons reduce the tile merchants to sell at a more moderate price, but tis not an irrational suggestion that all the tiles which shall be made this whole summer will not repair the damage in the covering of houses within the circumference of the city and ten miles round. The next article in our street damage was the fall of chimneys, and as the chimneys in the city buildings are built in large stacks, the houses being so high, the fall of them had the more power by their own weight to demolish the houses they fell upon. Tis not possible to give a distinct account of the number or particular stacks of chimneys which fell in this fatal night, but the reader may guess by this particular that in Cambray House, commonly so called, a great house near Islington, belonging to the family of the Comptons, earls of Northampton, but now let out into tenements, the collector of these remarks counted eleven or thirteen stacks of chimneys, either wholly thrown in, or the greatest parts of them, at least, what was exposed to the wind, blown off. I have heard persons who pretended to observe the desolation of that terrible night very nicely, and who, by what they had seen and inquired into, thought themselves capable of making some calculations, affirm they could give an account of above two thousand stacks of chimneys blown down in and about London, besides gable ends of houses, some whole roofs, and sixteen or twenty whole houses in the outparts. Under the disaster of this article, it seems most proper to place the loss of the people's lives who fell in this calamity, since most of those who had the misfortune to be killed were buried or beaten to pieces with the rubbish of the several stacks of chimneys that fell. Of these, our weekly bills of mortality gave us an account of twenty-one, besides such as were drowned in the river and never found, and besides above two hundred people, very much wounded and maimed. One woman was killed by the fall of a chimney in or near the palace of St. James, and a stack of chimneys falling in the new unfinished building there, and carried away a piece of the coin of the house. Nine soldiers were hurt, with the fall of the roof of the guard-house at Whitehall. But none of them died. A distiller in Duke Street with his wife and maidservant were all buried in the rubbish of a stack of chimneys, which forced all the floors and broke down to the bottom of the house. The wife was taken out alive, though very much bruised, but her husband and the maid lost their lives. One Mr. Dyer, a plasterer in Fetter Lane, finding the danger he was in by the shaking of the house, 
jumped out of bed to save himself, and had, in all probability, time enough to have got out of the house, but staying to strike a light, a stack of chimneys fell in upon him, killed him, and wounded his wife. Two boys at one Mr. Purfoy's in Cross Street, Hatton Garden, were both killed and buried in the rubbish of a stack of chimneys, and a third very much wounded. A woman in Jewin Street and two persons more near Aldersgate Street were killed. The first, as it is reported, by venturing to run out of the house into the street, and the other two by the fall of a house. In Threadneedle Street, one Mr. Simpson, a scrivener being in bed and fast asleep, heard nothing of the storm, but the rest of the family being more sensible of danger, some of them went up and waked him, and telling him their own apprehensions, pressed him to rise. But he, too, fatally sleepy, and consequently unconcerned at the danger, told them he did not apprehend anything, and so, notwithstanding all their persuasions, could not be prevailed with to rise. They had not been gone many minutes out of his chamber, before the chimneys fell in, and broke through the roof over him, and killed him in his bed. A carpenter in Whitecross Street was killed almost in the same manner by a stack of chimneys of the Swan Tavern, which fell into his house. It was reported that his wife earnestly desired him not to go to bed, and had prevailed upon him to sit up till near two o'clock, but then, finding himself very heavy, he would go to bed against all his wife's entreaties after which she waked him, and desired him to rise, which he refused, being something angry for being disturbed, and, going to sleep again, was killed in his bed, and his wife, who would not go to bed, escaped. In this manner our weekly bills gave us a count of twenty-one persons killed in the city of London, and parts adjacent. Some of our printed accounts give us larger and plainer accounts of the loss of lives than I will venture to affirm for truth, as for several houses near Moorfields leveled with the ground, fourteen people drowned in a weary going to Gravesend, and five in a weary from Chelsea. Not that it is not very probable to be true, but as I resolve not to hand anything to posterity, but what comes very well attested, I omit such relations as I have not extraordinary assurance as to the fact. The fall of brick walls by the fury of this tempest in and about London would make a little book of itself, and as this affects the outparts chiefly, where the gardens and yards are walled in, so few such have escaped. At St. James, a considerable part of the garden wall. At Greenwich Park, there are several pieces of the wall, down for an hundred rods in a place, and some much more. At Battersea, Chelsea, Putney, at Clapham, at Deptford, 
at Hackney, Islington, Hogsden, Woods Close, by St. John Street. And on every side of the city, the walls of the gardens have generally felt the shock, and lie flat on the ground, twenty, thirty rod of walling in a place. The public edifices of the city come next under our consideration, and they have had their share in the fury of this terrible night. A part of Her Majesty's Palace, as is before observed, with a stack of chimneys in the centre of the new buildings, then not quite finished, fell with such a terrible noise as very much alarmed the whole household. The roof of the guardhouse at Whitehall, as is also observed before, was quite blown off, and the great vane or weathercock at Whitehall blown down. The lead on the tops of the churches and other buildings was in many places rolled up like a roll of parchment, and blown in some places clear off the buildings, as at Westminster Abbey, St. Andrew's Holborn, Christ Church Hospital, and abundance of other places. Two of the new-built turrets on the top of St. Mary Aldermary Church were blown off, whereof one fell upon the roof of the church. Of eight pinnacles on the top of St. Albans Wood Street, five of them were blown down. Part of one of the spires of St. Mary Overies blown off. Four pinnacles on the steeple of St. Michael Crooked Lane blown quite off. The veins and spindles of the weathercocks in many places bent quite down, as on St. Michael Cornhill, St. Sepulchre's, the Tower, and divers other places. It was very remarkable that the bridge over the Thames received but little damage, and not in proportion to what in common reason might be expected, since the buildings there stand high, and are not sheltered as they are in the streets one by another. If I may be allowed to give this philosophical account of it, I hope it may not be absurd, that the indraft of the arches underneath the houses, giving vent to the air, it passed there with a more than common current, and consequently relieved the buildings by diverting the force of the storm, I ask pardon of the ingenious reader for this opinion, if it be not regular, and only present it to the world for want of a better. If those better furnished that way will supply us with a truer account, I shall withdraw mine and submit to theirs. The fact, however, is certain that the houses on the bridge did not suffer in proportion to the other places though all must allow they do not seem to be stronger built than other streets of the same sort. Another observation I cannot but make, to which, as I have hundreds of instances, so I have many more witnesses to the truth of fact, and the uncommon experiment has made it the more observed. The wind blew during the whole storm, 
between the points of southwest and northwest. Not that I mean it blew at all these points, but I take a latitude of eight points to avoid exceptions, and to confirm my argument, since what I am insisting upon could not be a natural cause from the winds blowing in any of those particular points. If a building stood north and south, it must be a consequence that the east side slope of the roof must be the lee side, lie out of the wind, be weathered by the ridge, and consequently receive no damage in a direct line. But against this rational way of arguing, we are convinced by demonstration and experiment, after which argument must be silent. It was not in one place or two, but in many places, that where a building stood ranging north and south, the sides or slopes of the roof to the east and the west, the east side of the roof would be stripped and untiled by the violence of the wind, and the west side, which lay open to the wind, be sound and untouched. This, I conceive, must happen either where the building had some open part, as windows or doors to receive the wind in the inside, which being pushed forward by the succeeding particles in the air, must force its way forward, and so lift off the tiling on the leeward side of the building, or it must happen from the position of such building near some other high place or building, where the wind being repulsed must be forced back again in eddies, and consequently taking the tiles from the lower side of the roof, rip them up with the more ease. However it was, it appeared in many places, the windward side of the roof would be whole, and the leeward side, or the side from the wind, be untiled. In other places, a high building next the wind has been not much hurt, and a lower building on the leeward side of the high one, clean ripped, and hardly a tile left upon it. This is plain in the building of Christ Church Hospital, in London, where the building on the west and south side of the cloister was at least twenty-five foot higher than the east side, and yet the roof on the lower side, on the east, was quite untiled by the storm, and remains at the writing of this covered with deal boards above an hundred foot in length. The blowing down of trees may come in for another article in this part, of which, in proportion to the quantity, here was as much as in any part of England. Some printed accounts tell us of seventy trees in Moorfields blown down, which may be true, but that some of them were three yards about, as is affirmed by the authors, I cannot allow. Above a hundred elms in St. James Park, some whereof were of such growth as they tell us they were planted by Cardinal Wolseley. Whether that part of it be true or not is little to the matter, but only to imply that they were very great trees, about bombs 
commonly called Whitmore House, there were above two hundred trees blown down, and some of them of extraordinary size, broken off in the middle. And t'was observed that in the morning after the storm was abated, it blew so hard, the women who usually go for milk to the cow-keepers in the villages round the city, were not able to go along with their pails on their heads, and one that was more hardy than the rest was blown away by the fury of the storm and forced into a pond, but by struggling hard got out and avoided being drowned, and some that ventured out with milk the evening after had their pails and milk blown off from their heads. "'Tis impossible to enumerate the particulars of the damage suffered, and of the accidents which happened under these several heads, in and about the city of London. The houses looked like skeletons, and an universal air of horror seemed to sit on the countenances of the people. All business seemed to be laid aside for the time, and people were generally intent upon getting help to repair their habitations. It pleased God so to direct things that there fell no rain in any considerable quantity except what fell the same night or the ensuing day, for near three weeks after the storm, though it was a time of the year that is generally dripping. Had a wet, rainy season followed the storm, the damage which would have been suffered in and about this city to household goods, furniture, and merchandise would have been incredible, and might have equaled all the rest of the calamity. But the weather proved fair and temperate, for near a month after the storm, which gave people a great deal of leisure in providing themselves shelter and fortifying their houses against the accidents of weather by deal boards, old tiles, pieces of sailcloth, tarpaulin, and the like. End of section six. Section seven of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org of the effects of the storm, damages in the country. As the author of this was an eye-witness and sharer of the particulars in the former chapter, so to furnish the reader with accounts as authentic, and which he has as much cause to depend upon as if he had seen them, he has the several particulars following from eye-witnesses, and that in such a manner, as I think their testimony is not to be questioned, most of the gentlemen being of piety and reputation. And, 
as a publication was made to desire all persons who were willing to contribute to the forwarding this work and to transmit the memory of so signal a judgment to posterity that they would be pleased to send up such authentic accounts of the mischiefs damages and disasters in their respective counties that the world might rely on it cannot without a great breach of charity be supposed that men moved by such principles without any private interest or advantage would forge anything to impose upon the world and abuse mankind in ages to come interest parties strife faction and particular malice with all the scurvy circumstances attending such things may prompt men to strain a tale beyond its real extent but that men should invent a story to amuse posterity in a case where they have no manner of motive where the only design is to preserve the remembrance of divine vengeance and put our children in mind of god's judgments upon their sinful fathers this would be telling a lie for god's sake and doing evil for the sake of itself which is a step beyond the devil besides as most of our relators have not only given us their names and signed the accounts they have sent but have also given us leave to hand their names down to posterity with the record of the relation they give we would hope no man will be so uncharitable to believe that men would be forward to set their names to a voluntary untruth and have themselves recorded to posterity for having without motion hope reward or any other reason imposed a falsity upon the world and dishonoured our relation with the useless banter of an untruth we cannot therefore but think that as the author believes himself sufficiently backed by the authority of the vouchers he presents so after what has been here premised no man will have any room to suspect us of forgery the ensuing relation therefore as to damages in the country shall consist chiefly of letters from the respective places where such things have happened only that as all our letters are not concise enough to be printed as they are where it is otherwise the letter is digested into a relation only in which the reader is assured we have always kept close to the matter of fact and first i shall present such accounts as are entire and related by men of letters principally by the clergy which shall be given you in their own words the first is from stowmarket in suffolk where by the violence of the storm the finest spire in that county and but new-built viz within thirty years was overthrown and fell upon the church 
the letter is signed by the reverend minister of the place and vouched by two of the principal inhabitants as follows sir having seen an advertisement of a design to perpetuate the remembrance of the late dreadful storm by publishing a collection of all the remarkable accidents occasioned by it and supposing the damage done to our church to be none of the least we were willing to contribute something to your design by sending you an account thereof as follows we had formerly a spire of timber covered with lead of the height of seventy-seven foot which being in danger of falling was taken down and in the year sixteen seventy four with the addition of ten loads of new timber twenty one thousand and eight hundred weight of lead a new one was erected a hundred foot high from the steeple with a gallery at the height of forty foot all open wherein hung a clock bell of between two and three hundred weight the spire stood but eight yards above the roof of the church and yet by the extreme violence of the storm a little before six in the morning the spire was thrown down and carrying with it all the battlements on the east side it fell upon the church at the distance of twenty-eight foot for so much is the distance between the steeple and the first breach which is on the north side of the middle roof of the length of seventeen foot where it break down nine spars clean each twenty-three foot long and severally supported with very strong braces the spire inclining to the north fell across the middle wall and broke off at the gallery the lower part falling in at the aforesaid breach and the upper upon the north aisle which is twenty-four foot wide with a flat roof lately built all new and very strong it carried all before it from side to side making a breach thirty-seven foot long breaking in sunder two large beams that went across which were twelve inches broad and fifteen deep besides several other smaller besides these two breaches there is a great deal of damage done by the fall of great stones upon other parts of the roof as well as by the winds riving up the lead and a third part of the pews broken all in pieces everything falling into the church except the weathercock which was found in the churchyard at a considerable distance in the great path that goes cross by the east end of the church it will cost above four hundred pounds to make all good as it was before there were three single chimneys blown down and a stack of four more together all about the same time and some others so shaken that they were forced to be pulled down but we thank god nobody hurt though one bed was broken in pieces that was very oft lain in nobody lay in it that night most houses suffered something in their tiling and generally all round the country there is incredible damage done to churches houses 
and Barnes. Samuel Farr, Vicar, John Gaudy, William Garrard. From Oxfordshire we have an account very authentic, and yet unaccountably strange, but the reverend author of the story being a gentleman whose credit we cannot dispute, in acknowledgment to his civility, and for the advantage of our true design, we give his letter also verbatim. Sir, meeting with an advertisement of yours in the Gazette of Monday last, I very much approved of the design, thinking it might be a great motive towards making people, when they hear the fate of others, return thanks to Almighty God for His providence in preserving them. I, accordingly, was resolved to send you all I knew. The place where I have for some time lived is Besselsleigh in Berkshire, about four miles southwest of Oxen. The wind began with us much about one of the clock in the morning, and did not do much harm, only in untiling houses, blowing down a chimney or two, without any person hurt, and a few trees. But what was the only thing that was strange, and to be observed, was a very tall elm, which was found the next morning standing, but perfectly twisted round, the root a little loosened up, but not torn up. But what happened the afternoon preceding is abundantly more surprising and is indeed the intent of this letter. On Friday the 26th of November in the afternoon, about four of the clock, a country fellow came running to me in a great fright, and very earnestly entreated me to go and see a pillar, as he called it, in the air, in a field hard by. I went with the fellow, and when I came, found it to be a spout, marching directly with the wind, and I can think of nothing I can compare it to better than the trunk of an elephant, which it resembled, only much bigger. It was extended to a great length, and swept the ground as it went, leaving a mark behind. It crossed a field, and what was very strange, and which I should scarce have been induced to believe, had I not myself seen it, besides several countrymen who were astonished at it, meeting with an oak that stood towards the middle of the field, snapped the body of it asunder. Afterwards, crossing a road, it sucked up the water that was in the cart ruts. Then, coming to an old barn, it tumbled it down, and the thatch that was on the top was carried about by the wind which was then very high, in great confusion. After this I followed it no farther, and therefore saw no more of it. But a parishioner of mine going from hence to Hinksey, in a field about a quarter of a mile off of this place, was on the sudden knocked down, and lay upon the place till some people came by and brought him home, and he is not yet quite recovered. Having examined him, by all I can collect, both from the time and place, 
in manner of his being knocked down, I must conclude it was done by the spout, which, if its force had not been much abated, had certainly killed him. And indeed I attribute his illness more to the fright than the sudden force with which he was struck down. I will not now enter into a dissertation on the cause of spouts, but by what I can understand they are caused by nothing but the circumgyration of the clouds, made by two contrary winds meeting in a point, and condensing the cloud till it falls in the shape we see it, which by the twisting motion sucks up water, and doth much mischief to ships at sea, where they happen oftener than at land. Whichever of the two winds prevails, as in the above mention was the south-west, at last dissolves and dissipates the cloud, and then the spout disappears. This is all I have to communicate to you, wishing you all imaginable success in your collection. Whether you insert this account I leave wholly to your own discretion, but can assure you that to most of these things, though very surprising, I was myself an eyewitness. I am, sir, your humble servant, Joseph Ralton. December 12, 1703 The judicious reader will observe here that this strange spout or cloud, or what else it may be called, was seen the evening before the great storm, from whence is confirmed what I have said before of the violent agitation of the air for some time before the tempest. A short but very regular account from Northampton, the reader may take in the following letter, the person being of undoubted credit and reputation in the town, and the particulars very well worth remark. Sir, having seen in the Gazette an intimation that there would be a memorial drawn up of the late terrible wind and the effects of it, and that the composer desired informations from credible persons, the better to enable him to do the same. I thought good to intimate what happened in this town and its neighbourhood. 1. The weathercock of All Saints Church being placed on a mighty spindle of iron was bowed together and made useless. Many sheets of lead on that church, as also on St. Giles and St. Sepulchre's, rolled up like a scroll. Three windmills belonging to the town blown down, to the amazement of all beholders. The mighty upright post below the floor of the mills being snapped in two like a reed. Two entire stacks of chimneys in a house uninhabited, fell on two several roofs, and made a most amazing ruin in the chambers, floors, and even to the lower windows and wainscot, splitting and tearing it as if a blow by gunpowder had happened. The floods at this instant, about the south bridge, 
from a violent south-west wind, rose to a great and amazing height, the wind coming over, or athwart, large open meadows, did exceeding damage in that part of the town, by blowing down some whole houses, carrying whole roofs at once unto the streets, and very many lesser buildings of tanners, fellmongers, dyers, glue-makers, etc. Yet, through the goodness of God, no person killed or maimed. The mighty doors of the Sessions' house, barred and locked, forced open, whereby the wind entering made a miserable havoc of the large and lofty windows. A pinnacle on the guild hall, with the fane, was also blown down. To speak of houses, shattered, corn-ricks and hovels blown from their standings, would be endless. In Sir Thomas Samwell's park, a very great headed elm was blown over the park wall into the road, and yet never touched the wall being carried some yards. I have confined myself to this town, if the composer finds anything agreeable to his design, he may use it or dismiss it at his discretion. Such works of providence are worth recording. I am your loving friend, Ben Bullivant, Northampton, December 12. 1703. The following account from Barclay and other places in Gloucestershire and Somersetshire, etc., are the sad effects of the prodigious tide in the Severn. The wind blowing directly into the mouth of that channel, we call the Severn Sea, forced the waters up in such quantity that tis allowed the flood was eight foot higher than ever was known in the memory of man, and at one place, near Huntsville, it drove several vessels a long way upon the land, from whence no succeeding tide rising to near that height they can never be gotten off, as will appear in the two following letters. Sir, this parish is a very large one in the county of Gloucester, on one side whereof runneth the river Severn, which by reason of the violence of the late storm beat down and tore to pieces the sea-wall, which is made of great stones, and sticks which they call rouses, a yard and half long, about the bigness of one's thigh, rammed into the ground as firmly as possible, in many places, and leveled it almost with the ground, forcing vast quantities of earth a great distance from the shore, and stones, many of which were above a hundred weight, and hereby the Severn was let in above a mile over one part of the parish, and did great damage to the land. It carried away one house which was by the seaside, and a gentleman's stable, wherein was a horse, into the next ground, and then the stable fell to pieces, and so the horse came out. 
There is one thing more remarkable in this parish, and tis this. Twenty-six sheets of lead, hanging all together, were blown off from the middle aisle of our church, and were carried over the north aisle, which is a very large one, without touching it, and into the churchyard, ten yards distant from the church, and they were took up, all joined together, as they were on the roof. The plumber told me that the sheets weighed each three hundred and a half, one with another. This is what is most observable in our parish. But I shall give you an account of one thing, which perhaps you may have seen from other hands, that happened in another, called Kingscut, a little village about three miles from Tedbury, and seven from us, where William Kingscut, Esquire, has many woods, among which was one grove of very tall trees, being each near eighty foot high, the which he greatly valued for the tallness and prospect of them, and therefore resolved never to cut them down. But it so happened that six hundred of them, within the compass of five acres, were wholly blown down, and supposed to be much at the same time, each tree tearing up the ground with its root, so that the roots of most of the trees, with the turf and earth around them, stood up at least fifteen or sixteen feet high. The lying down of which trees is an amazing sight to all beholders. This account was given by the gentleman himself, whom I know very well. I have no more to add, but that I am your humble servant, wishing you good success in your undertaking. Henry Head, Vicar of Barclay, January 24th. The damage of the seawall may amount to about five hundred pounds. Sir, I received a printed paper some time since, wherein I was desired to send you an account of what happened in the late storm, and I should have answered it sooner, but was willing to make some inquiry first about this county, and, by what I can hear or learn, the dismal accident of our late bishop and lady was most remarkable, who was killed by the fall of two chimney stacks, which fell on the roof and drove it in upon my lord's bed, forced it quite through the next floor down into the hall, and buried them both in the rubbish. And tis supposed my lord was getting up, for he was found some distance from my lady, who was found in her bed. But my lord had his morning gown on, so tis supposed he was coming from the bed, just as it fell. We had likewise two small houses blown flat down, just as the people were gone out to a neighbor's house, and several other chimney-stacks fell down, and some through the roof, but no other accident as to death in this town or near it. Abundance of tiles are blown off, and likewise thatch in and about this town, 
and several houses uncovered in the country all about us abundance of apple and elm trees are rooted up by the ground and also abundance of wheat and haymows blown down at huntsville about twelve miles from this town there was four or five vessels drove ashore which remained there still and tis supposed cannot be got off and in the same parish the tide broke in breast high but all the people escaped only one woman who was drowned these are all the remarkable things that happened near us as i can hear of and is all but my humble service and beg leave to subscribe myself sir your most humble servant edith conyers wells in somersetshire february ninth seventeen o three sir the dreadful storm did this church but little damage but our houses were terribly shaken hereabouts and the tide drowned the greatest part of the sheep on our common as it likewise did besides many cows between this place and bristol on the opposite shore of glamorganshire as i suppose you may also know it brake down part of cheapstow bridge or the y in the midst of this churchyard grew a vast tree thought to be the most large and flourishing elm in the land which was torn up by the roots some of which are really bigger than one's middle and several than a man's thigh the compass of them curiously interwoven with the earth being from the surface or turf to the basis full and l in depth and eighteen foot and half in the diameter and yet thrown up near perpendicular the trunk together with the loaden roots is well judged to be thirteen ton at least and the limbs to make six load of billets with faggots and about two years since one minister observed that the circumambient boughs dropped round above two hundred yards he hath given it for a singer's seat in our said church with this inscription thereon november twenty seventh a d seventeen o three miserere etc slimberg near severn december twenty eighth seventeen o three william frith churchwarden sir by the late dreadful storm a considerable breach was made in our town wall and part of the church steeple blown down besides most of the inhabitants suffered very much by untiling their houses etc and abundance of trees uprooted at the same time our river overflowed and drowned the low grounds of both sides of the town whereby several hundreds of sheep were lost and some cattle and one of our market-boats lifted upon our key this is a true account of most of our damages i am your humble servant william jones cardiff january tenth seventeen o three
Honoured Sir, In obedience to your request, I have here sent you a particular account of the damages sustained in our parish by the late violent storm. And because that of our church is the most material which I have to impart to you, I shall therefore begin with it. It is the fineness of our church which magnifies our present loss, for in the whole it is a large and noble structure, composed within and without of ashlar, curiously wrought, and consisting of a stately roof in the middle, and two aisles running a considerable length from one end of it to the other, making a very beautiful figure. It is also adorned with twenty-eight admired and celebrated windows, which, for the variety and fineness of the painted glass that was in them, do justly attract the eyes of all curious travellers to inspect and behold them, nor is it more famous for its glass than newly renowned for the beauty of its seats and paving, both being chiefly the noble gift of that pious and worthy gentleman, Andrew Barker, Esquire, the late deceased lord of the manor, so that all things considered it does equal, at least if not exceed, any parochial church in England. Now that part of it which most of all felt the fury of the winds was a large middle west window, in dimension about fifteen foot wide, and twenty-five foot high. It represents the general judgment, and is so fine a piece of art that fifteen hundred pounds has formerly been bidden for it, a price, though very tempting, yet were the parishioners so just and honest as to refuse it. The upper part of this window just above the place where our Saviour's picture is drawn sitting on a rainbow, and the earth his footstool, is entirely ruined, and both sides are so shattered and torn, especially the left, that upon a general computation a fourth part at least is blown down and destroyed. The like fate was another west window on the left side of the former, in dimension about ten foot broad and fifteen foot high, sustained, the upper half of which is totally broke, except one stone mono. Now, if this were but ordinary glass, we might quickly compute what our repairs would cost, but we the more lament our misfortune herein, because the paint of these two, as of all the other windows in our church, is stained through the body of the glass, so that, if that be true which is generally said, that this art is lost, then we have an irretrievable loss. There are other damages about our church which, though not so great as the former, do yet as much testify how strong and boisterous the winds were, for they unbedded three sheets of lead upon the uppermost roof, and rolled them up like so much paper. Over the church porch, a large pinnacle and two battlements were blown down upon the leads of it, 
but resting there and their fall being short these will be repaired with little cost this is all i have to say concerning our church our houses come next to be considered and here i may tell you that thanks be to god the effects of the storm were not so great as they have been in many other places several chimneys and tiles and slats were thrown down but nobody killed or wounded some of the poor because their houses were thatched were the greatest sufferers but to be particular herein would be very frivolous as well as vexatious one instance of note ought not to be omitted on saturday the twenty sixth being the day after the storm about two o'clock in the afternoon without any previous warning a sudden flash of lightning with a short but violent clap of thunder immediately following it like the discharge of ordnance fell upon a new and strong-built house in the middle of our town and at the same time disjointed two chimneys melted some of the lead of an upper window and struck the mistress of the house into a swoon but this as appeared afterwards proved the effect more of fear than of any real considerable hurt to be found about her i have nothing more to add unless it be the fall of several trees and ricks of hay among us but these being so common everywhere and not very many in number here i shall conclude this tedious scribble and subscribe myself sir your most obedient and humble servant edward shipton vicar fairford gloucester january seventeen o three seventeen o four End of section 7。At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea. Innovation and partnership—we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit Parker.com/purpose. Parker Engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun—yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the Fileo Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.